Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Good morning again, everybody. And let's thank our musical team for those beautiful songs of the season. Well, I want to encourage you to, if you can, grab your notes. We are in week four of our Christmas series, and we're calling the series Fear Not. And uh, what we are doing in this series, if you're just joining us, is we are using the story of Christmas to help us press into some of the deeper issues we all face as human beings. There's a lot of our stories, if you think about it, that are unique. All of us are coming from different places. We've had different experiences in life. But there's a lot about humanity and a lot about the human condition that is relatable to every one of us. We all have similar things we're facing and similar things we're going through. And so what we're doing right now in the month of December is we are using the Christmas story to help us press into some of the deeper issues we face uh, as human beings, and then some of the deeper truths, really, that run underneath these issues. And I always think about this at Christmas time because uh, I remember a seminary professor back when I was studying for the ministry years ago that said uh, to his classes uh, when we were learning to preach, and back when I was learning to preach, some of you at the close of this message will say he's still learning to preach, but anyhow... Uh, when, when I was in seminary, I had a professor that would say to me, you know what, if you don't get in the way, if you don't get in the way, Christmas will almost preach itself. Because there are such deep truths, such great promises that are within uh, the Christmas story, and, and they're right there in front of us, and we have an opportunity to look at them. So what we're doing in December is we're unlocking these truths and we're looking at one of the greatest declarative statements in all of the Bible, which is the declarative statement, fear not. And so when if you were to count all of those different statements in Holy Scripture, you would count 125 times uh, where where God is making some sort of declaratory statement and over a fifth of those statements are some form of some iteration of fear not. And it's interesting because I I think, and maybe this is just my own feeling about this, but I have a sense, really, that uh, all of us might be tempted to say, you know, there there are probably some other things that the Lord maybe would want to repeat over and over again to the broken human condition. And we would find it interesting that over and over again, what God is really saying to us is fear not. Because fear gets in the way of our faith, fear gets in the way of our deeper understanding of really what God is doing in the world and what God is wanting to do uh, deep within our own lives. And so we've been using the Christmas story to help us there, and if you've been with us, uh, we've been looking at some of these different uh, uh, understandings. For example, we uh, we looked at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were parents to John the Baptist the forerunner of Jesus. And the fear we uncovered in that story was the fear really that we missed it. And uh, one of the things that I think about, all of us have spaces in our lives really where we may be tempted to feel like, well, life has passed me by, uh, you know, it's, it's gone ahead of me and I've missed some great thing in my life. And what we learned in that story really is we learned how God is a redeeming God. 
And there's all these scriptures uh, throughout the Old and New Testament that remind us of the idea that God, when we, when we turn to him, he is able to restore unto us days that have gone away. And some of us who are walking close with the Lord can say that. We can say, gosh, I could see God's redeeming work in my own life or in the life of someone I love. We looked at uh, the story of Mary, one of the great stories of the Christmas uh, uh, narrative, and we learned in the Christmas story of Mary uh, the idea of that we're not enough, the fear of not being enough. Mary being from Nazareth, and some of us will remember that great line uh, that was spoken of Jesus when Jesus came out of Nazareth and somebody said back one time, talking about the Lord, saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, Mary was from Nazareth. And so Mary, uh, you know, was in a situation where she, you know, here she is, 14, here she is, uh, going to give birth to the Christ child and all of the drama that unfolded around that. And there might have been a sense where she felt like she was not enough. And, and it was this moment really where we are learning in this space that, um, that God sees us. And so God sees all of the circumstances of our lives. And when we turn to him, he's a, he's a loving heavenly father who wants to be there for us. Uh, if you were with us last week, uh, we turned the story around and we looked at Joseph. And many of you will remember that. And we, we uncovered the fear there that might be, uh, we would name it this way, the fear of, of others. And, and we looked at this unfolding dilemma that Joseph found himself in and just all of the idea of him losing his reputation or being implicated in some weird way and sort of this unfolding drama, and, and we, we, we just took a moment to talk about, I think, one of the most gripping fears going on right now in our world, and that's what other people think. And I, if you were with us last week, I know that uh, Pastor Jeff did a fantastic job. Didn't Pastor Jeff do a great job last weekend? And I, what I learned is that Pastor Jeff, you know, just put different name tags on him and this idea that a lot of times when we go through our world today, and especially with the proliferation of things like social media, we get tagged with all these identities and we get tagged with all these different uh, understandings of who we are. And, and what Pastor Jeff was reminding uh, us to do is to trim all of those other voices out of our lives and learn to play our lives and live our lives toward an audience of one. God, our Heavenly Father. And when we do that, all of the other volume just sort of turns down and we come to a deeper understanding of, of who God says we are and what God says uh, you know, He is doing within our lives. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to read, uh, I think, maybe one of the most classic Christmas stories. And we're going we're gonna to turn our attention this morning for a few moments to the shepherds. And I want to read to you the story of the shepherds. And uh, we're going to look at another fear that I think is uh, important that we would understand a little bit. And so here's how Luke records it. This is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read down to verse 14. Luke says it this way. In those days, Luke writes, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of, of the entire Roman world. Now, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and to the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. 
And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. There it is. Do not be afraid. For I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Now this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Let's pray together. You know, God, would you, would you come now by the power of your spirit and meet us here? Uh, Lord, I, I say this honestly and not with any irreverence that, you know, we're here this morning. We have taken time uh, out of a busy season and out of busy schedules to meet with you because, God, we, we want to hear from you. We ask that you would bring your encouragement, that you would bring your challenge, that you would bring, Holy Spirit, whatever it is you need to bring into this space, so that when we leave here this morning, nobody would say they've listened to me or anyone else, but we might be able to say we have heard from you. Now this we pray in the strong and powerful name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. So if you haven't figured out what the fear is, let me, let me name the fear for you that we want to explore this morning, and it's, it's simply this, the fear of bad news. The fear of bad news. And I want to show you where I get it. I, I actually picked this up in Luke chapter 2, verses uh, 9 and 10, and I want you to notice this. I think they'll put it on the screen. It says this, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And if you're taking notes, you may want to just circle the word terrified, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news. And so when we look at that idea about God through the angel bringing good news, what we want to think about for a moment of the opposite, of course, good news is, is bad news. And so uh, if we are to learn together this morning, I want to just say a few words about the shepherds. Uh, Many of us know that shepherds, honestly, if you go back into the religious story and if you go back into the the unfolding drama of the day, we might even be able to say the shepherds were kind of bit players in the unfolding redemptive drama of God's Christmas plan. Now, I know, we know on this side of religious history, that's not true. In fact, if you've ever participated, uh, even as a child, in a Christmas drama, uh, you know, the shepherds were always the, the people you wanted to be. How many of you ever got to play a shepherd? I uh, always felt like they had the coolest outfits, so, you know, that's something that we, we all wanted to be, but, but at any rate, uh, back then they were more bit players, and they were the ones who tended the flocks outside the city gates. And their only real significance to society around them is because they were sheep herders and shepherds, they were extreme, which were extremely valuable as a commodity within the religious culture of the day. And this was really true as the Passover would come into view because it, it meant that lots of lambs and lots of sheep were going to be slaughtered. And so there was this, you know, I don't think really many of us today could kind of get an understanding and get a picture of 
of actually what that would have looked like and what that might have represented back then. But the other thing that I find interesting when you look at shepherds for a moment is shepherds were outsiders. Uh, And uh, it's sort of interesting to look at that because God takes the word to the outsiders and it just shows us that God was sort of breaking down walls and he was inviting people in. Let me just ask the question as we begin. You ever felt like an outsider? You ever felt like you've been into a situation where you just feel like you don't belong, like maybe it's not for you? And so God is breaking down these walls. But uh, it's interesting that um, Luke uses this word. It doesn't show up a lot of times in the New Testament. And he tells us uh, in verse 9 that they were terrified. And, and, and when you look at that word closely in the original language, the word is actually phobeo, which is where we get the word phobia. And so it's sort of interesting to think about when Luke is writing this, and, and Luke is sort of, I think, telecasting that sometimes our fears, and this is what we're uncovering this morning, come out of our phobias. In other words, they're exaggerated. Uh, if you've been in South Florida for any length of time, you may remember there was an author who wrote, uh, a, a columnist who wrote for the Miami Herald. I want to show you a picture of him. His name was Dave Barry. How many of y'all remember Dave Barry? And uh, he was a great uh, columnist for Miami Herald for many years, a great satirist as a writer. And Dave Barry talks about these phobias, and this is what he he wrote years ago, I remember, I remember taking that and saying, I'm going I'm to hold on to that. He says this, he said, all of us are born with a set of phobias or a set of instinctive fears. And then he goes on to name them. He says, the fear of falling, the fear of the dark, the fear of lobsters, the fear of falling in the dark on lobsters, the fear of public speaking, and of course, the fear of these words, some assembly required. And this is always a season kind of when I think we, we, we think about that. I, was, um, I had a friend recently who gave me a book. I don't know if you've seen these books. I want to show you this picture. How many of you have seen these worst case scenario books? And uh, I don't know who came up with this idea, but they've made a million bucks doing this. And uh, it's sort of interesting. Um, this one says, if you were to read it closely, it says this, how to, how to survive UFO abductions, runaway camels, le- and leeches, which is all important information all of us need to know right now, right? And so really what, uh, what Luke is sort of uncovering for a moment, and I want us to think about this, is he's uncovering this idea that sometimes um, our fears grip us in such a way is they be- that they become excessive and they move beyond the, the norm. In fact, it's almost like the punishment sort of doesn't fit the crime. I, I was sharing last night at our campus out west that when um, we first uh, started Community of Hope, and many of you know some of the story, we lived in a rental home and after we lived in a rental home, we, we built a house in the, in, out in Royal Palm. And when we moved into that house, it had something in the house we had never had before, and it was a security system. I don't know if any of you all have that in your home, just a little pad that's in our, near our door, and then there's actually one in our bedroom. And when we moved in, my wife, who, who you know, whenever we go into an expensive store where things are breakable, she'll often say, man, I don't know if you experience this, she'll say, why don't you wait outside? I'll be back in a moment. 
just stay out here, everything will be fine. And we were, we were uh, when we moved into the house, my wife warned me, she said, that's probably something you don't need to mess with. You probably should leave that alone. And, and, and one evening, um, I, it got the better of me, we put the girls to bed and, and I set the alarm, and, and, which was great. And I came into our room and I shut the door, which is sort of our little habit, you know. And I shut the door, but what I had done, I didn't realize, is I had... I had set also the motion detector. And so in the middle of the night, our youngest daughter, Shelly, got up to get some water and she set the alarm off. And the alarm, so all of a sudden in the middle of the night, the alarm is going off and all of a sudden our little girl just, you know, opens the door and just sort of leapt onto our bed. My wife is an incredibly light sleeper. I am not a light sleeper. And so I missed literally every part of that until Shelly landed on my face. And when she landed on my face, it's sort of, I bolted up and I heard the sound and, and Beth said, somebody's in our house. And this is like in a slumber. I yelled back at her, go out and see who it is and tell me what you find. And in that moment, Beth's worst fears came true. She realized I'm a wimp, you know? And so part of what Luke is wanting us to understand is that sometimes our worries get ahead of us. And I want to just see kind of almost out of a recovery language this morning, how many of you would be honest to say sometimes you worry too much about things you shouldn't worry about? I'm testing the honesty in the room. Many of us. And so I think deeply embedded in this story are some truths that that I want us to think about, and I want to give you three of them. And so if you're taking notes this morning or you got your mind thinking about these things, here's what I want to remind us in this space. Number one is simply this. Worry, worry is unproductive. It's unproductive and not really helpful. And Jesus, when he was preaching his very first uh, public sermon, I believe he said as much this very thing. And in Matthew chapter 6, which is sort of the middle of the the famous Sermon on the Mount, sometimes referred to the Beatitudes, notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life or what you eat or drink or about your body and what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And he goes on and he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? In fact, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Here's what Jesus, I think, is saying to us, and and I I find it instructive and challenging that this is his very first public sermon. I mean, there could have been a lot of things he might have said. This is one of the things he said. Worry gets in the way. Uh, It's unproductive. And I think what Jesus is saying here, when he's, when he's talking about food and clothes, he's just not talking just about food and clothes. We know that. Here's what he's talking. He's talking about life in general. That you and I need to really remember, we need to embed into our souls, we need to come to a new understanding in our faith that worries unproductive. In fact, I was thinking about this, and I just have to tell you this way. Maybe, maybe you'll tell me afterwards when I'm greeting and, and, and feel like this is judgmental. I, I think it's not only uh, unproductive, I, I think it's kind of annoying. You ever been around somebody who, who, who uh, worries all the time? Come on now. 
It's sort of annoying. I remember on, on Saturday Night Live, I'm going to probably get in trouble for this. How many of y'all remember the character Debbie Downer? <laughs> right? And uh, in fact, just for your own listening pleasure, I'm going to read. Do you remember the song about Debbie Downer? Well, if you don't, I'm going to read it. I'm going to sing it. So you'll enjoy this. Okay, this is how I think it, it went. You're enjoying your day, everything's going your way, and along comes Debbie Downer. Always there to tell you about a new disease, a car accident, or killer bees. You'll beg her to stop now, Debbie, please, but you can't stop Debbie Downer. I thought that would go over better than it did. I mean, if you've ever been around somebody who worries all the time, it just kind of drives you crazy. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. I don't think, honestly, I've sort of baited you on. I, I don't think worry's just unproductive. I, I think really what Luke is trying to have us know, it's, it's actually counterproductive. It's not just, you know, neutral. Worry, worry is never neutral. I mean, I don't think Jesus was preaching against it because it's innocuous and neutral. I think he's preaching against worry because it, it, it's actually detrimental uh, to our faith. A few months ago, we did a series in our church called Scatter. And uh, we, um, during the Scatter series, uh, we were looking at the parable of the sower. And in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, I think we can put it on the screen and in, in, in this uh, verse, here's what um, the story says. And as the seed fell among the weeds, well, these are the ones who hear, but look at this, but then the seed is crowded out and nothing comes of it as they go about their lives worrying about tomorrow and making money and it's choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures. And notice the last line, they don't mature. So if you worry too much, the faith that is within you doesn't develop to its fully uh, opportunistic challenge. It doesn't grow. I'm a lover of American history, and uh, whenever I think about worry and I think about fear, there's a line, and the minute I say it, many of you are going to are going to know exactly, I think, where it comes from. I'm going to test your American history knowledge this morning. Uh, and, but I want to give you the story that surrounds it that many of you may not know. And so whenever I think of worry, whenever I think of fear, I think of the great line of a century ago where, where simply we had a leader that said this, there is nothing to fear but what? Fear itself. Who said it? Roosevelt said it. I said it last night at Saturday night service. Nobody knew. And uh, so here's the thing. Uh, actually, Franklin Delano Roosevelt made that statement. I want to tell you a little about this. This is a picture of FDR during his first inaugural uh, speech. And uh, FDR, until this time and until this speech, he was sometimes um, ridiculed by the journalists of the day because he was off, often viewed, listen to me, as superficial around some of the real problems of the day. He had a wonderful sense of humor, and sometimes journalists would say that he overlaid his sense of humor 
to the detriment of some of the real issues of the day. But when it came to this speech, which is where he made this observation, interestingly, he changed his whole demeanor around the speech. It was a calculated effort on his part, and he spoke very specifically and very directly to the circumstances of the day. And one of, of course, the big circumstance of the day was something that we remember called the Great Depression. And the Great Depression had not only gripped our nation, but it, like a cancer, had sort of metastasized its way through the minds and hearts of the American people. So much so that there was a great debate raging during that day whether the union would be able to exist, whether we'd even be able to remain cohesive and together as a nation facing the great problems. And so in this, in this glorious moment, FDR steps to the stage, changes his whole tune, much like a pastor goes right at the heart and soul of our nation. And out of the backdrop of that, here's his statement, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And then he goes on, and this is what I want you to hear uh, remember about this. He talks about nothing to fear but fear itself. And he tells the American people that fear is, their fear is making things worse. And he said, it's this nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, the same word that Luke used, which paralyzes our needed efforts to convert our retreat into an advance. Fear's counterproductive. I believe with all of my heart this morning as one of your pastors that, that God wants to say some things about what you're facing right now in your lives. And because I'm human, I want to remind everybody, I am facing some things. And God is saying to me what I believe God is saying to you, and he's saying this. If you are overplaying your fear, it will be counterproductive to the development of your faith and the reality and deeper understanding that I see you, that I am with you, and that you are not alone. I mean, I, I, we, we could make the argument this. I mean, the whole ball game for many of us is how we're processing our fear and how we're processing our worry. It's not neutral. It's counterproductive. But I, I tell you what, I, before I close, I just want to tell you what I really think fear and worry should represent to us. Worry is a warning sign. That's what I think the scriptures really want us to know. It, worry, if we understand it right, is a warning sign that something's not right in our heart. A couple of weeks ago, um, Beth and I were doing some Christmas shopping. We went to the Wellington Mall. I would encourage everybody to skip it until February. <laughs> Don't go. In fact, I told Beth, I said, I won't be in here again until like next year. Okay. And uh, we were coming out of the mall. We had, been, we had done some shopping. We were coming out of the mall. And uh, we went to get in our truck, and there was, there was a lady that was in front of us, and it was like a perfect park job, and she was parked in front of us, and she was sort of standing out by her car. I could immediately tell there was something, you know, going on. And as, as we approached, um, you know, I could tell she was, you've probably been in a situation like this, she was kind of sizing us up. 
And uh, we just, I hate to say this, but we live in a culture right now and, and that, that a lot of that happens. And, and as we got closer, she, she courageously said to us, she said, my car won't start. And I could tell when, when we were walking up, she was sort of checking us out and she looked at me and, and, and I don't know what she thought of me, but I think she saw Beth and said, it's okay, these, these are safe people, you know? And, and I need to be honest with you, I'm not even joking, and when she came up to me and she said, my car won't start, can I just tell you, a sign of our culture, you know what I, the first thing I did? I looked around, because I wanted to make sure it was also okay. And, and she said, my car won't start, and I don't know why it won't start. And I said, do you, th- do you think it's your battery? And she said, um, I, I don't think it's the battery, and I said, why don't you give it a try, and when she clicked, I could tell immediately that it was, you know, it was the battery. And I had cables, and it was just like a perfect setup. I lifted my hood, asked her to lift up her hood, and, and just, you know, ran the cables. And just quick as a flash, uh, you know, I um, started her car, and her car started off right. And as she was getting in her car, this is what she said. Well, there was a light that was going off, but I ignored it. And I told my wife, I said, this is what women do right here. relax, relax. That's not what I said. That's not what I said. But can I just, can I just say it this way? I actually, relax, okay. What I actually said is, you know, thought about later, this is what we all do. And I think probably all of us right now, we got something in our life. And if I could just tell you right now, I I just know, because I know humanity, because I am one of you. Something's going blink, 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 and here's the question. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to allow, you know, in this moment, are you going to allow your fear to take over and run your life? In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, refers to fear in a way as he said, here's what fear does left unchecked. It divides your mind. Even now today in our culture, we will, we will refer, you know, I'm, you ever hear somebody say, I'm just out of my mind. This is kind of a biblical idea. And really, really, I think what Luke has embedded into this story is the privilege that we have to be people, not of fear, but to be people of faith. And to remind ourselves in these moments when we're we're, we're given over to fear, to remind ourselves and to worry. We remind ourselves, you know, in these, in these moments that we have trained for these moments. In fact, uh, Paul, and I leave you that, with this, when Paul was writing, frankly, from prison, by the way, Paul in Philippians chapter 4 tells us one of the most beautiful promises. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say again, rejoice. Let gentleness, your gentleness be evident to all for the Lord. Look at this. The Lord is near. Is that not the message of Christmas? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you an ancient practice that I have reestablished in my own life? I have uh, reestablished the practice that I begin the day and I end the day on my knees. 
Because right now in my own life, there's, there's stuff. Big stuff, little stuff. And, and when I take a posture uh, on my knees in prayer, I'm just, I'm just reminding myself that there is somebody more powerful than me willing to do the work that I can't do in the world that he has created. In fact, to be honest with you, I have a friend that lately what we've been doing, uh, she's doing it too, and we will text each other our number. And my goal is to actually kneel three times a day to just remind myself, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And so sometimes just my friend, I'll just, I'll go two, she'll go three. She did a string of threes last week. She finally said, I'm more spiritual than you, but I'm praying for you. (laughs) Just a reminder. How do you do it? What do you do? This is important. We're going to have a closing song, but before we do, I want to pray for you as my friend. And what I want to ask everyone to do, if you're willing, if this feels weird, you don't have to do it. I would ask you to just where you're sitting, maybe, maybe as a moment you would just turn your hands over and rest them in, in your lap as just a sign to the Lord that you are, you are moving into a posture to receive from Him. And with our eyes bowed and our heads closed, let's, let's just call out to this God in heaven. Lord, you're here. You love us unconditionally. Many of us, oh Lord, uh, are carrying things that are too heavy for these hands to carry. Our minds are filled. Like Paul the Apostle, when he wrote and said that, he said, I have fightings without and I have fears within. But God, you are here. And I pray in the strong and mighty name of Jesus that you might in this moment hear our prayer. Take our fear, take our worry, and turn it into trust and into praise. Lord, in this reverent space, would you hear us as we offer our prayers to you? In Jesus' name.